Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Two Crickets and a Thorn Tree, the smoothest glass of Amarula for your mind. I'm Nicholas Lorimer, half of your host, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts, Gabriel Krauser. Well, Gabriel, it's another week, another weird and wacky time in SA, and uh, you are now officially, according to a court, or at least you have been described in a court as an expert. What is it that yeah, you are an expert in? Oh, damn it. I was hoping that would not be your first question. That's the... <laughs> Why don't we make... Let's ask that question later. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll get back to Much this later. Not necessarily but, uh, today. <laughs> as, as, as part of your, your expertise, though, you were called up to speak in a case that quite a lot of people were actually um, quite interested in um, and may have indeed seen your testimony. Uh, and this was... Oh, sorry, Mike alarm is going off right now right next to the microphone sorry about that <laughs> that was it was a riveting moment there <laughs> sorry about that uh and you're uh you were testifying in the case of afriforum versus the eff about the song shoot the uh, kill the boer kill the farmer or shoot the boer as it's normally called what's the uh the the actual name of the song i always forget no, that is the name of the song. People have been calling it Dubula Ibunu, which is ridiculous. The, if someone says Dubula Ibunu, then you already must, they're disqualified because mm -hmm. that is a different melody. It's a different song. In fact, I thought one of, the, yeah, look, I'll be saying some it, things that we've so, said. So elsewhere, is it a little bit like, it is a little bit like when uh, someone starts talking about neoliberal policies, you know, immediately that your brain can yeah. probably switch off. It's exactly <laughs> like that. No one describes himself as a neoliberal. No one who uses the word neoliberal is doing it to describe anything other than a straw man. Um, it's a little bit worse. It's a little bit like if someone starts saying something like, you know, did the king of France, it's 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 a pity he's gone bald because he used to be so handsome when he was still hairy. <laughs> then you just know. They've, they've, they've dismissed themselves. Anyway, there was quite a sweet thing. I mean, what's what's sad is that many experts, including a, a professor uh, that I debated yesterday uh, and, uh, and an advocate on Newsroom Africa about this, or we were discussing it, um, referred to this as Dubula Ibunu. And he was trying to make the case that you really have to respect the struggle and you've got to remember its history. And, and yet he's not recognizing that there are two different songs in play here. Or at the very least, there's a song and then there's a chant. Uh, and the song yes. Dubola Ibunu is actually in Zulu. And it's got a melody, whereas the chant is shoot to kill. Hi, kill the farmer. Hi, hi, shoot. It's quite hard for one person to do it. But, you know, you get the, you get the classic <laughs> toy toy. Ta, 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 ta. And then on the other hand, just shoot to kill Nyamazan. Kill a boar. Well, that was that was that was very farmer. good, Gabriel. I felt I felt like I was just transported to a huge EFF rally with everyone chanting. <laughs> oh, dude! I must tell you, toy. Okay, so one of the hard things about this case is that toy toying is one of the most fun things I've ever done with my pants on. I really enjoy it. I taught lots of kids at Princeton how to toy toy. Like I toy toyed in high school a whole bunch. I definitely toy toyed to Pretoria um, during the Zuma Must Fall thing um, twice. Once with EFF dudes, once with like, uh, you know, just South Africans of right. all sorts. 
I really, the rhythm, the motion, it's quite good for, oddly enough, it's quite an easy dance to do, even if you're not particularly rhythmic. You just have to be quite energetic, and you and you need to, and you need to have a little bit of a sense of syncopation. But like I did gumboot dancing and all other kinds of things, like toy toying is much easier than pansula or gumboot or, um, it's so just a, it's a very know. simple step. I don't much go for toy toying mostly because it involves moving, which is not really in my wheelhouse. You know, <laughs> I, I much prefer things that don't require any effort. <laughs> it's I, for our listeners this this morning at a at a sort of strategy meeting. People were discussing how we should sell sort of IRR, like uh, you know, action memorabilia figures. action figures, and they started by saying we should have an, a Nicholas Lorimer action figure, and then he said, "What's the action going to be? Sitting." <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a very good one, Nick. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sit down for freedom. Sit down and listen up for freedom's sake. <laughs> yeah, man. Talking rubbish is what I'm good at, not running around. <laughs> okay, so toy toying is great, and I and I really wouldn't want anyone to ban the toy toy. Um or the ta ta or even the sound ta 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 ta. It's very, mm, it's delicious. It's lacquer. Yeah, no, we, we we both went to the same high school and that was incorporated at least when I was then. I'm sure when Gabriel was there too into some of our schoolboy war cries. Uh, yeah. And it was so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Okay, so that's not what the case is about. The case is about to kill the work, shoot to kill, kill the farmer. And... And it really, I I think what what I'm hoping we can talk about, which is different, maybe a little bit to um, the sort of other interviews that I've done about it, and like I think how a lot of the conversations are going to be, is that I think a lot of it's going to be pretty strident and like these guys are wrong, or those guys are wrong, and like here's why you should think this or that. I I think that there's room for that and it's useful to climb into the court of public opinion as an advocate with a point you're trying to prove and you're trying to punch something through. It's interesting. It's good. I think that there's a gap for something quite different in this case because I think that this really is a very complicated, very interesting intersection between art and politics and dance and song and death and right it's, and it's, doom it's, a lot of ways it's kind of on the cutting edge of you know what should be what speech should be allowed in a free society or more specifically not in an abstract free society but in south africa which is a country with specific laws and requirements of speech in in the legal code yeah um which which complicates the case i think from our perspective because I think you know both of us would uh, are not keen on on such a thing as a hate a hate speech law in general, um, and I don't think that anyone at the institute is. Uh, so yeah, I think that's about right. And to, just to remind people of the American phrase, they'll say there's there should be no there's no such thing as hate speech. There's hateful speech, and that's just right. a slogan to capture the idea that the law should not be involved in policing. Uh, the propagation of hatred, but that people should be in that business. People should be um, dissing each other, 
you know, if someone if someone tries to propagate hatred uh, against a you know a, a racial group or something like that, people should say, "Dude, you're gross. You're wrong." Uh, you know, the Steam market should should work its magic to yes. to control that stuff. So it's not to say that there's no as there should be no law saying. because it's fine. It's but there's no law because it, it should be stopped in another way. And as you're very fond of saying, Gabriel, they should be cancelled, which is a term that you are always very bitter about the fact that it's been appropriated to a much more specific context than perhaps what it should be used yeah, for. Yeah, I, I really like, you know, people should be cancelled for saying there are certain things for which you should be cancelled. Um, right. So, so th that is, I think that's generally sort of where the IRR comes from. I'm not sure how deep that goes into the IRR's history. Um, I, I have read the IRR's history, sort of the founding in the 20s, 29, uh, some of the stuff around World War II, some of the stuff around the dawn of apartheid. And then I've got like a nice oral history about the 50s and 60s and how it lays the groundwork for a scrutiny of all of the wicked and stupid oppressive impositions um which which you know anecdote was useful but really a lot of data was very useful too um and how that was used to overturn uh, laws actually through the courts um for example detention without trial stuff early on it had to be repassed because of because of obstructions that the ira had been instrumental in creating and etc down the line but I don't really know what the IRR's position on hate speech was in the 1960s or the 1980s uh, or even the 1990s. Um, so that'd be, I think that's that's one thing that'd be interesting to find out. I also don't really know what, I don't have a good sense of what the general attitude was towards the category of hate speech in South Africa in the last hundred years. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a blank spot in my mind. Um, I can I can see partly why, um, which is that uh, power hierarchies were so defined by race in law that if a black person was to say a derogatory thing to a white person, um, one wouldn't need to go to court in order to impose a serious cost, um, and I don't right. just mean dissing; I mean I mean brutal violence, um, right. and that be a low likelihood of 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 that violence going checked in a court you know it'd go unchecked so so you can imagine i think it's easy to imagine why there wasn't like a law prohibiting black people from insulting from saying kill the boer um in the 50s because they're just you know no one was singing that and if they you know if anyone thought right. of it they'd be in deep trouble um it's, the it's other the way i can i can imagine it's almost it's also obvious just to finish the thought, yeah. it's also obvious why there was no law preventing white people um, from using very hateful language to to insult or offend black people, to propagate hatred right. against black people, because that was basically officially official policy. Um, uh, so, you know, I don't know, in the 80s, in the, was there a point where they, you know, they there was certainly um, policing of speech about communism um, and forbidden people and all that. And and I do think that part of the IRR's position now, of of being super pro free speech, is 
connected to that way in which the Nats policed speech, where they basically said it's illegal. I mean, they said it's illegal to say we should redistribute the wealth. It's illegal to say basically that like black people should uh, enjoy equal political freedoms. That wasn't quite as illegal. It was a little bit, I mean, they always like the ANC was tried sort of under communist propaganda. I don't think that there was a law against, um, directly a law against saying one man, one vote. But in effect, if you said one man, one vote, I think often you'd be accused of being a communist. Communism came to mean a lot of things. <laughs> my my, my uh, PFP grandfather was called a communist all the time, despite very much not being one. In fact, uh, <laughs> he would uh, uh, he his his experience of communists was quite uh, funny, which is um, when he was studying at Witz, he was too poor to afford a car, and so would be walking back from the university to his house, and the communist kids. Today, of senior members of the Communist Party would drive past him and shout "capitalist" out the window at him, <laughs> which is that is so rock solid gold. <laughs> anyway, um, so oh my I God, guess dude, that should be a cartoon. Why are we? Why are we making explainer videos? We need our animators <laughs> to just like make that a cartoon, like based on a true story. PFP. <laughs> yeah I, I can't remember which i used to know uh, in the original telling of the story the specific communist senior communist involved was was mentioned but i, I can't remember who it is now which uh, anyway, we'll, get, we'll get that for the cartoon and then the action figure we can do action figure we're gonna make it happen dude we're gonna <laughs> merchandise this it's gonna it's gonna be huge right so uh i guess the question is in a lot of ways you know gabriel if you don't really like hate speech laws, why are you testifying in court around hate speech? Um, so the short answer, uh, which in a sense is a bit of a cop-out, is that I was not called to testify on whether or not Julius Malema should be found guilty of hate speech. Uh, and right. in fact, I was called and in as an expert witness. These distinctions matter. Yeah, I was an, I'm an expert witness in uh, race relations or sociopolitical analysis specializing in race relations and so i was called to describe some basic background facts necessary to understand the context of all speech acts and in particular of what happened in Senegal in october 2020 uh when i don't know you know many thousands of people gathered up in this town which is almost geographically in the center of south africa um in a pretty dusty part of the free state north of Lesotho. And uh, on the 1st of October, Brendan Horner, a young farm worker, was found dead. Well, was killed on 2nd of October, my birthday. His body was discovered around daybreak, garroted, stabbed in the face, arms, chest, uh, and tied up to a pole with a sort of knife on a cap pointing in his direction. The sort of public display, a kind of... Uh, something something there was a whiff of advertising in the in the murder a message being sent that is to say and uh then four days after that at the arraignment of two accused subsequently exonerated people uh a, a vigilante mob 
uh, broke into the court and attempted to take the accused to hand to do mob justice, which I described to the court as a paradox, an incredible term, uh, a ridiculous sort of idea. There is no justice in mob justice. And uh, and because of that, because these, uh, I think in the eyes of the EFF and in their description, sort of white people had broken into a court and, and tried to catch will try to take these people out of the police's hand and, and, and punish them themselves and, and then overturned a police vehicle uh, during the bail hearing. Uh, the EFF arrived in large numbers, bust around from very far away uh, to, they said, protect government infrastructure um, <laughs> and public property. Uh, I wrote that Floyd Chivambu must have said this with his tongue deep in his cheek. Uh, because the only public property destroyed on the 16th of October, which was the big day, was by the EFF. I was taken to task in cross-examination for, for, for how I could justify saying this. And my explanation was basically that uh, I, it, was, it was put to me that I was trying to mislead the court. I was trying to lead the court to believe and, and people to believe that the EFF had no good reason to go. But it's not what I said, and it's not what I believe. I think they really did have a good reason to go. Um, uh, if they had gone there to, to to protect public infrastructure and to say, look, you know, vigilante justice is no good, and you must let due process follow its course, that right. would have been great. Um, it's it's their actions on the day which made a mockery yeah, and it's, of and the, it's the fact intentions that, that they proclaimed. But they, Not that that uh, was a surprise, but you right. know, no, what exactly, they said right. was fine. They said fine things beforehand. Accepting, sorry, Nicholas. Accepting that they, accepting that Kahlema Motlante just before the thing had said, you know, if things get even worse, this could be the start of a civil war. And Julius Malema then said, "So be it." <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this is this is essentially the problem, which is that <clears throat> ah. the EFF, uh, the EFF's complete shamelessness and when it comes to consistency and messaging and belief, right? I mean, the EFF is. Pretty much, I mean, its central policy, right, is that like things like land must be occupied regardless of what the law says. It says that, you know, there's all this, as we'll get into later, all this kind of flirting around with uh, the people rising up and taking vengeance against whites or farmers or whatever for whatever perceived uh, uh, injustice there is against against them. Yeah. Um, and yet, so for them to denounce, let's just say they're not the cred most credible voice in the world to denounce mock justice uh, yeah yeah and i mean even <laughs> if they were sort of credible in that moment it'd be nice if you followed that up by then not breaking public property sort of concrete bins and then using the parts of it to throw uh, you know sort of heavy concrete projectiles into the face of of sort of unarmed uh, people on the other side of the picket line protesting against farmers it's, it's it, it was an unfortunate it was it was not a good day, man. But it ended really well. No. I mean, I think part of here's yeah, part of what's well, really surprising is that the day start, ended really, so that's always a good exactly. day. <laughs> and there was no insurrection. And it wasn't like that was that was in the spring of 2020. It wasn't like the winter of 2021. We didn't get and I you know and I don't think Motlante was out of hand for saying what he said. I think that there is a possible world in which something like uh, July 2021 does happen, uh, emerging from you know if there was a bloodbath in Senegal. Which I think there could have been. Um, mm. Then I think you get mass looting in a lot of like little towns, Kalinis, Schweizerenikas, I don't know, Lichtenstein, all the right. all the all the really scary places in the northwest, <laughs> which is yeah. a pro which is a province that I should probably apologize to because I almost never say anything nice about it. 
Um, well, I, I, I'm strongly in the camp of the Northwest is really not South Africa's best. If I was taking a visitor to see the country, I would be like, oh, you know, you should go to all the provinces, all the eight provinces and the ninth province. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, Much I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, but respect, many great people live there, but that doesn't mean that it's a nice place. <laughs> no, it's like a desert with with uh, with a bit of diamonds or whatever. Anyway, so the 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 reason I was called was to explain what had happened on the day. Why was Horner's murder particularly disturbing? Well, because a, because a, a stock theft syndicate was implicated, which involved five police. Well, involved several police, allegedly. Five police were subsequently arrested. I did some, uh, I, I managed to uncover some facts about the, 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 the Hawks' investigations in this regard or lack thereof. Anyway, so it gave the community around there a great sense of distress that not only was this dude killed, not only was he left and displayed in this funny way, but it also seemed like you couldn't trust the police to do much about it because um, police were implicated well, in. Might. In the stock as well, yeah. Some some police, obviously not all police, but that. So there was this real, re, real concern about a breakdown in law and order, and in yeah. that context, a sort of a, a racial solidarity movement is both tempting and dangerous, right? That is th that's when it's mm. going to be the most tempting, and that's when it's the most dangerous because that is when when it stops being completely crazy to talk about a little mini civil war or something insurrectiony um, and starts actually becoming quite serious. And so that was the background context that I provided. I wasn't asked to go there and tell the judge whether my is guilty of hate speech or not. I'm not a legal expert. And in so far as it requires legal expertise, the way our court system works is that the two advocates will be the legal experts for different points of view. And the judge will be the legal expert in, in interpreting the law. And if there's any complaint about that, it can be bumped up to the SCA, the Supreme Court of Appeal, and from there to the Constitutional Court. But judges in courts are the legal experts. You don't really get a legal expert showing up in a court, as far as right. I understand, because that's the judge's job. So I was not there to interpret the law. And so whatever the law is and whatever the complaints we have about the law, it, it wasn't for that wasn't my role. Now, I told the judge that my colleagues at the IRR are not really down with Caputa, which is the law under which this is being tried. Um, and that some of my colleagues aren't necessarily even done with how the Constitution frames hate speech. Um, because I didn't want the Institute's reputation to be on the line there or to be used or abused in any way. I didn't want to create a misinformation. Right. Okay. But nevertheless, I went to testify. Now, I've given the cop-out answer, and I said it was a short answer. <laughs> well, it was quite Lies. long for a cop-out. <laughs> <laughs> The real so, so answer, what's, what's the other yeah. real answer? Yeah, the, the real answer is that I think that I think that I at least think that there's a real case to be made that there should be hate speech laws, mm. and I think that there's a real case to be made that if there, I think there's a very easy case to be made that if there should ever be a hate speech law, then it should apply to this case. Right, I, so the hard the, for me the hard part is to see should there ever be a hate speech law. That is hard and complicated, and I'd like to talk about it. The really easy thing is if you ever think there should be a hate speech law, then then it must apply to this situation. It must apply where a politician is screaming to a mob, which has done in the case of Malema and is about to do in the case of Ndlozi, violence 
damage to public property, attempts to assault unarmed members of the public. The, literally, the definition of, of incitement is to tell a mob to go and and break something or someone. Right. And so, that is what right. was happening here. Now, the, yeah. The other so, point I want to also make up is that um, we've seen, I mean, we've seen quite a lot of things in, in the country be declared sort of hate speech before. And it's very much the case that uh, you can't sort of selectively use this. Like, the law can't be used only in cases where it's, you know, favorable to the sort of state's point of view, or at least the ruling party's point of view of um, uh, of hate speech, and and not when it's like inconvenient for the state. Am I right about that? Well, you must be right as a matter of the rule of law, right? If you've got the proper rule of law, then if the law says X, it, that applies whether or not it's convenient to, to the people in charge. That's the whole idea. It's not the rule right. of, of some dude at his pleasure yes. or displeasure. You don't want something like a hate speech law to be used as, like, for example, a terrorism law is often used to say... Exactly. Uh, abused, right? Say, well, you know, uh, when the the youth wing of the ruling party does X, it's not terrorism. But when the youth wing of the opposition party does X, then it is terrorism. Oh, it's very bad. Can't do it. I don't know. Enter some long segue about Canada and <laughs> yes. Black Lives Matter that's protesters not... were fine. The truckers are terrorists. I don't right. know. Maybe maybe yeah, that's it's... true. Uh, I don't know enough. <laughs> but it seems uh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like I know that the Florida tried to pass a law. I think that said that people who if, if people block highways, you can you'll get civil protection if you run them over. You'll you'll be immune from prosecution if you run them over. <laughs> <laughs> now that law wasn't passed, right? It was it was defeated. No, but someone, was, I think, someone yeah. seriously, yeah, someone seriously did that, and I guarantee you that that person was like, "Yeah, block the roads, you <laughs> truckers, go forward." Yes, so, exactly. The same right. dude who, who was for that law was also for the roads being blocked. Exactly. And hypocrisy right. is hypocrisy <laughs> is to human beings as like as like purring is to cats. It's just it's clearly our happy space. Uh, am I right in saying that the old flag was declared hate speech? You are right. So, <laughs> I mean, that seems like quite a low bar for, for what constitutes hate speech in our legal system. And if the waving of the country's old flag is hate speech, then presumably a politician in front of a crowd, you know, singing a, a chant. Shoot to kill, kiss the yeah. farmer, or... As Ndlozi said, call the fire brigade, we're going to burn the words or whatever. Yeah, yeah. okay, so but slow yourself <laughs> down, Nicholas. If you're a strategist, right. so I think I want to distinguish sort of, without getting too heavy on the EFF and, and sort of terrible things they're saying to you, I'd rather, so because so, I want to say that there's sort of three reasons that you'd want to find the EFF not guilty of hate speech in this case. Right, the one reason is that you believe what the EFF says. Now, what the EFF says is that when they say, what Malema said is when he says shoot to kill, uh, kill the farmer, if, when he says farmer, he sees a white face. But when he says shoot to kill, and if someone were to say kill the farmer, and when he did say it in the past, he didn't, he meant a system. And so what he's doing is he's equating the system 
whatever it is that's 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 making his supporters or you know poor black people poor that that system is a white face uh and there's not really such a thing as a white face he kept saying every revolution every political movement needs a face like and i think he said like hitler churchill uh mussolini uh, tojo like, hitler in his list I think so. So he wasn't saying he was saying no. He was saying whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it needs a face. Yes. But he wasn't really talking about. A, he was talking about a party. Uh, he wasn't talking about the enemy having a face. Um, he was talking about the leader. Uh, and and there is no face of whiteness. There's just a race there. I mean, your face and my face are different. I'm told that we're both white, and I believe people because, um, because. Because I'm gullible or whatever, you know. But we definitely don't, don't have the same face. I, I don't go outside a lot. I think it's entirely possible that I might not be white. I just haven't been in the sun my whole life. <laughs> that is also true. That is also true. And there's so much hair over the face, it's hard to tell. But did, I'm yeah, pretty no, sure precisely. underneath the hair, we've got different faces. So you can't say you, you're giving whiteness a face. You're putting a race to the system. You're saying this system equals this race. And, yeah. and that's got to be a mistake. And that's, by the way, got to be racist. And and that racism led my lemon to say all kinds of terrible things like white people can't be uh, victims of racial attacks, um, that black people can't exercise power over white people, that black people can't be rich. The reason they can't exercise power is because black people are poor and white people are rich. What about Motsepe? No, he's not really a billionaire. He's just pretending he's one of these black people who just wears all his money on his shoes but he doesn't actually have money. What about Ramaphosa? He's broke. If he did, if he had money, he would pay the ANC salaries. You know, things that are kind of funny that that get a lot of giggles from the EFF dudes in the crowd, and that I think play well over the TV because Malema delivers it confidently. But ultimately, amount to a profound lumping of all black people into the same into the same lumpen right. lump, and then to and then to make it really disparaging to say that black people there are no successful black people. He said there are no successful commercial farmers. All kinds of really insulting things that 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 were probably close to true uh, in the 1970s because the apartheid system was so vicious and extreme that it had managed to, you know, really oppress you know, rich black people. But today there are clearly rich black people, and pretending that's not the case is just silly. That's kind of where his defense ends up going. And, and it sounds I, a lot like like what I've heard white racists say about black people. Yeah. Uh, you know, these people, they don't have, none of them are scientists. None of them are successful at this. They just take things, things like that, right? That's what white racists say. Yeah. And if you, if you just had that voice, you know, if you had a guy with a bald head and a swastika tattoo reading out some of Lemma's claims there, you might think to yourself, wait, 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 who said this? Dude, so, I mean, Brett Murray, a great South African artist, famous for the spear. That sort of yes. naked Zuma with the Willy and the Lenin-esque pose with an Obama-esque kind of background. Um, he he made this sort of video art of basically the same speech. I think it is exactly the same speech being read out by like a a, a white gnat sounding cop in a sort of 70s style, and then like a black sort of ANC sounding dude in the 2010s. And it's like the same speech, and it really works. <laughs> It really works. <laughs> Disturbing. It's like the same vicious racist crap. God damn it. Anyway, that 
piece was was denounced as terribly racist when it went to the Venice Biennale uh, in 2016 or 15 thereabouts. But that was a nice there was a nice demonstration of this point, uh, sort of different accents, same idea, um, and and that doesn't mean it plays out in all the same ways. Um, but it's but it but it's a it's a point to note anyway. And and it's part of the reason that I want I don't want to go too deep down the Malema, um, the Malema Avenue. I'll say two more things about it. One is that there's this sort of intellectual argument made by Professor Gunner, who came as the expert witness, to say that this song only means one thing, and it means land and justice for all. Uh, and if you think that shoot to kill, kill the farmer means anything else, then you don't understand that farmer just means a system. <laughs> Um, and you must never only like literally no one could make that mistake she said no one could make that mistake everyone understands excepting for white people that it that it means the system it doesn't mean white people but but it does mean white people including my lemma and this professor was useless she came as an expert witness on this song she was said uh, you know what about she was given this thing about like my lemma says kiss the boer uh, do you think that that must mean he literally means kiss the Boer, or could it be that kill the Boer was described as hate speech by an earlier equality court judgment? And so he knows that his supporters know it. They're shifting it to kiss the Boer. It sounds very similar. It's a little bit of coded language so that he could sidestep the law but communicate the same message. She says, like, I can see where you're going, but I don't want to go. I don't don't really want to answer that. She says, okay, that's strange. Like you, I mean, it's basically like she was WhatsApping the judge to say. I don't want to answer questions that are going to hurt the 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 accused, which is not something an independent person does. But then he asked, "What about what about like in Rwanda? You know, they couldn't say kill the tutsi, but they could say kill the cockroach." Um, do you think that was hate speech? Do you think that was inciting violence? Do you think that just meant like land and justice for all? And she's like, "No, I don't want to answer that. That's like uh, again, I can see where you're going. I don't want to go there." She's like, "Please answer the question." And then she says, "No, it's different because." In in, the, in that case, they were using animalization to dehumanize the Tutsis. But in South Africa, in struggle songs, there's no animalization to dehumanize anyone. Dude, in the very chant, shoot to kill, kill the boer, kill the farmer, the in-between bit is nyamazan, where they say, <laughs> shoot to kill, nyamazan. Kill the boar, the farmer, ta, nyamazan. Dude, nyamazan means animal. And Malema explained that the ANC MK fighters, a portion of them were described as the nyamazan, the animals. So it wasn't saying shoot to the animal. It was saying you must shoot to kill like an animal. You must unlock your animal spirit. You must take away these right. human clothes of, of decency and niceness and softness. You must become a wild animal and shoot to kill a farmer. He explained this the day before she came to testify. We all heard it. And she has an expert witness on this very song saying, I know this song better than anyone else and better than anyone else. I know you can't interpret this to mean kill anyone <laughs> because if, because I understand it like only a black person can understand it. By the way, she's white, but, and was saying things like, only African culture members anyway. Dude, this lady said there's no animalization in the very song, with which only has like seven words. One of them is animalization. So, so can, can I, can I uh, go on a tangent here, something that I noticed, which is... Please, yeah. The EFF's kind of 
leaning on scholarship and scholarliness as a as a bit of a crutch for some of what they were claiming and saying and doing right so uh i know that malema in some of his criticism of ernst Ruet's book uh said that well uh, what is it it's not peer-reviewed it's not scholarly he's not yeah. you know we shouldn't take him seriously he's just some idiot and also of course they had uh she was an academic right she was a phd professor yeah, from a university. Also, I've noticed that the EFF very much fetishizes the kind of academic stuff, which is quite interesting. Um, so, like, for example, while this was going on, while Malema was talking, people on Twitter and things were saying, uh, EFF sports are saying, oh, you see, they're getting a free lecture. And they very specifically use the word lecture from Malema, kind of implying that he's like a professor teaching the students. The EFF makes a huge deal about whenever any of their MPs gets a master's or a PhD. And they always like will refer to, ah, uh, you know, Dr. Ndlozi or Professor this or whatever. Um, why do you think it is that they're so hung up on academic credentials and academic and, you know, the, the whole uh, academic academia in general leading them credence? Um, I suspect they're probably right, though, because there are an awful lot of academic supporters of the EFF. But I think that says more about academia than it does about the EFF. No, I th look, I think that part of it is, part of it really is that the, the most fertile soil in the whole country for EFF ideology is the sort of playground between Empire Road and the M1 Highway, otherwise known as Wits University. Um, so I, I remember our history lectures or seminars being regularly interrupted by our professor would go on sort of long tangents, but you know, uh, so let's stop talking about this history stuff for a while because what I really want to say is that the government should nationalize all the golf courses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty thrilling, and I'd like to get to. But I, so, so part of it is that they're playing to to their audience. Part of it is that they, I think, they see a gap in the market, um, in that the DA can't do that kind of thing. Um, it would just backfire. Um, the ANC can't really do that kind of thing for a very hard and sad reason most ANC leaders are pretty old and most of them really like obviously there were ANC academics who had been through university and gotten law degrees and things like that but it really was it, apartheid was an oppressive system and for a black person to become a professor in anything was inordinately difficult and so it just turned out that that as a party they ended up having fewer sort of of that kind of credentialed person than you would otherwise have expected and in a way i think there's something beautiful about the eff celebration of credentials it is their way of saying we are the next generation we are growing up with the benefit of a new dispensation Whereas you guys had an excuse or a very good reason or actually a very, very unjust and terrible reason not to be able to brag about your master's and PhD degrees. Those of you who did it wouldn't brag about it either because 
you know, then others would say, what about Robin Island? And my favorite story about the Robin Island school of intellectual, of political thought was Terry Lakota saying how, how Jacob Zuma effectively started it because he said, dude, I'm a go to it. I have no formal training, but like, we're going to leave here and govern. Please, can you teach us a little bit of like the theory that we need to know? And they obviously made it from, from A to M, from, from sort of, uh, from the apple falling from the tree all the way to Marx, but didn't quite get to sort of <laughs> money that you don't steal. That, yes. uh, that part like, of the syllabus. Uh, spots. That's, that's unfortunate. Look, but I, and I'm making fun, but he, he was a clever guy and he was intellectually thirsty. And, and I think that's yeah, we did, we did a whole lot actually on Zoom. We brilliant. did. We did. It was a miscarriage of justice that, that, that I really. I've got a lot of admiration for the Roman School Island of political thought, and I've got a lot of admiration for the EFF guys who say, dude, it's up to us to, to inculcate some pride in intellectualism, to push back against a kind of no-nothing um, uh, sort of knuckle-drag populism. Uh, th that's the good side of it. The, the, the bad side of it is that if you if you really want to detach yourself from reality you need you need a you need a powerful technical vehicle you need like you need like a rocket ship right and and their and their version of of academia is like a rocket ship to just take you away from reality to take yes. you into a space where patrice matsep is poor where where i mean it was put to my lemma that that you know the story of this mother and daughter in their 70s and 50s or whatever who who were murdered broken beer bottles stabbed into their vaginas until they bled to death police couldn't even figure out if they'd been raped or not because it, it, it was just to know where to draw evidence one woman's breast cut off while she was alive the blood used to write kill the boer on the wall this is one of the bits of evidence to suggest that that people are taking the song literally they are taking his normalization of the idea literally and that that might give him pause uh, and reason to change course. And Malema said that he couldn't, that that if the perpetrators had been black, they couldn't have, they couldn't have power over those women. That if you torture someone to death, you can't have power over that person unless you are white and the person is black, because power is only and always to be understood in terms of your means. To strategic uh, your access to the unity. means of production, right? Your access to the means of strategic production, and moreover, that like no black person has access to the means of strategic production, notwithstanding uh, all the evidence to the contrary, including the fact that the most strategic uh, productive units are, are state-owned enterprises like ESCOM. Um, and his theory would have to be that that's really owned and run by white people or something like that. Anyway, um, so some so. so my name is really detaching from reality in quite an inhuman and heartless way. When he says, when he says that, when he says about the witness who came before me, who who watched his wife get murdered in front of him, who was paralyzed himself in in the attack on a farm in a farm attack, uh, and says, you know, he feels traumatized when he has killed a book, killed a farmer. When my lemma says he's not moved by that, um, and that and that if you. If you criticize this song, Kill the Boy, Kill the Farmer, you must be firstly criticizing Dubula Ibuna, which is a different song, which I wanted to say was sung by a Zarpo, three Zarpo, two Zarpo people in the court, as if to highlight that these are different songs. Uh, but none of the journalists <laughs> present seem to notice that 
they never spoke in English and they never said the word shoot to kill or kill the or kill the farmer. Anyway, right. you know, it's like there's a Malema Malema's heartlessness to that man was justified by saying, if you criticize this song, then you're saying the whole struggle was about hate. You're saying that every struggle song must be banned. You're saying that no one can call for land for all or for justice for all. He's sort of like embedding this one particular act outside a courthouse where two accused were facing a bail hearing for the murder, allegedly, of, of Brendan Horner. And it was an angry crowd and another angry crowd and a bad buildup and, and a potential civil war kind of moment. Like in that moment, if you say, go kill people in an explicit or coded way, that's the same thing as 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 singing in Kosi Sikaleli Africa. That's the same thing as right. as reading the long walk to freedom out loud to your grandchildren. That's the same thing as as celebrating Steve Biko's line, I write what I exactly. like. You can't you can't pass apart parts of the, 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 the struggle against apartheid. You have to take it all together. So how do you lump like that, Nicholas, without a PhD? <laughs> right. Uh, I got, who is it? The person who said uh, uh, was it an Orwell quote? Um, an idea so stupid it can only be believed by academics. It yeah, be Orwell, Orwell or PJ O'Rourke, you know, someone like that, someone clever. <laughs> okay, so enough of the Malema defense. So the Malema defense is grounded in this sort of inter in this in in what it's grounded in. Go see it yourself. Here are two other defenses. One is strategic, one is very principled. Now, the strategic one is what you set me off on, Nicholas, by saying, look, the flag has been banned, the, the old flag, 1928 flag, apartheid era flag, whatever you want to call it, Aranya Blanya Blow plus whatever. That's been banned. That's been described as hate speech. Surely this should be described as hate speech as well. Because if that's the bar, Surely this is also crossing over that bar. Now, here's the pushback, Nick. If you're a strategist, if you're not really interested in the principle, but you want to sort of get some strategic headroom, you can notice that the flag case, as far as I understand, was decided in the Equality Court, but it is up for appeal at the Supreme Court of Appeal. And it could further be appealed to the Constitutional Court. Might very well be because... It's the only instance in which a flag, you know, there's special legal questions about how a flag might be interpreted. You might think that that's a special interpretive question, and the Constitutional Court is supposed to be the final arbiter of legal interpretation. So, in other words, it may be found that it is indeed not hate speech. And, it, and imagine if the case goes in Malema's way in this instance. In this instance, if they say... If you are singing, kill the boer, kill the farmer, and the EFF did sing, kill the boer, kill the farmer, not only at Senegal, but also outside the court. Uh, I was there, you know, uh, uh, just last week. I had a banana peel thrown at you. I had a banana peel thrown at me. That was very exciting. <laughs> so, because um, I am a bit of a monkey, I got to tell you, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I like a banana as well. Anyway, the, the, Say this case goes Malema's way. 
Then by the time you get to the Supreme Court of Appeal, or by the time you get to the Constitutional Court, you can say, if you're trying to defend the flag, you can say, look, Your Honor, or look, dear Justice, or whatever it is, my Lord, the, the singing and chanting, kill the boer, kill the farmer, it could not be more straightforward as an instruction or an invitation or an encouragement to do damage to people on the basis of race or ethnicity, on protected grounds. This has been considered uh, protected speech, something that, you know, whether you like it or you loathe it, the, the law shouldn't get involved in stopping it on the basis that it's a chant and not a straightforward bit of speaking like what Nicholas and Gabriel are doing right now. Yes. So, you know, if just saying exactly the same words but with a melody, instead of saying kill the boer, you say kill the boer. If that changes everything about it, then surely this flag, which is not written words or spoken words in the ordinary sense, surely that adds all these layers of meaning and history and hana hana hana. Right. Uh, that also put it as protected speech. So then imagine it plays out that way, Nicholas. Then it turns out that the courts have said, like it or loathe it, you know, maybe society should condemn it, but uh, it's not illegal to sing, kill the boer, kill the farmer. Like it or loathe it, maybe society should condemn it. It's not illegal to wave the flag. Now, that would be a very appealing outcome, I'm quite certain, to most of my colleagues. To my mind, yeah. I, I, I see a very strong appeal to that outcome as well. Yeah, no, so do I. That leaves, that leaves us as society a lot to do uh, in, in terms of, 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 of checking one another through the SD market. And it leaves speech well protected. So you see right. how if you get strategic, you might say, dude, I don't care what the actual argument is here. Find Malema not guilty in this instance. Because then you have a basis on which to, a precedent on which to try and defend free speech in other cases. So that's one reason to do it. Another reason to do it is, is to say, is to say that you've got this principle that there really should never be a category of hate speech because, because it's just always wrong. And, and what I'm starting to struggle with is understanding how, in abstract, in other words, regardless of whether it's South Africa or Japan or Uganda or Rwanda or Mexico, like wherever you are, just people should be allowed to say whatever they want. I'm, I'm losing grip a little bit with why anyone would say that in the first place. I think because I've been going down this rabbit hole of this case. So maybe I'll put it to you, Nick. What's the how does one argue for the absolutist position? No hate speech, just hateful speech. Well, no law, just social intervention. Look, I think you can make a whole bunch of. I mean, uh, you know, as as this always ends up being the case in these, the question is sort of, is the speech causing harm? Can speech cause harm? And I kind of feel like. I mean, generally, I don't like the idea of hate speech in the sense that it's a it's a law for something that you know is in a lot of ways already illegal, right? In theory, incitement to violence is illegal. Uh, in theory, murder is legal, right? 
in practice murder is legal. So I don't know. I feel like simply having perhaps uh, a, a lower bar for incitement could do pretty much the same job of without having to codify something like race or gender or whatever as a protected category in your law. Uh, that's sort of my feeling about this. Okay, so I like that. So, so if we just go to the Constitution, and and this is why I was saying I think some of my colleagues are a little bit um, uncomfortable with the way the Constitution is. By the way, you know, sometimes I feel like that includes me. I, I I'm, I'm not pretending to be sort of a bit torn about this. I, I really am. Um, I, th I think I figured out where I stand, but but it's pretty fresh. So if you go to section, uh, oh no, what's going on? Uh, freedom of expression. We're going to the Constitution to the Bill of Rights. Right number sixteen is freedom of expression. And first, it says everyone has the right to freedom of expression, which includes the press and other media. Right. Important receive of information, ideas, artistic creativity, academic and scientific research. Okay, so those are the things where no matter how weird it is, like one of the one of the straw man arguments is like, is there room for kill the farmer in our society? Yes, uh, in the press and the media, uh, as a bit of information to communicate. You know, someone said this as part of artistic creativity. I will be before I, you know, if I live long enough, I'll be. I'll be toy toying on stage again or, or, or writing things for other people to toy toy on stage. I think it's very important. Um, and academic freedom and, and freedom of scientific research. Okay. It's always got a place in society in a museum, proverbially speaking. Yes. There's no question uh, about that. The, the right in subsection one does not extend to propaganda for war. So there's a strange category. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of. But it's I not really. I don't know where that is, but <laughs> I'm just I'm just not sure when when like how this is how that's going to be used. I mean, what if South Africa is a war with another country? Are we're not allowed to say that they're bad? <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of is the idea. It's sort of it's a little bit like Japan, <laughs> Japan's constitution yeah, you... locks in passivism, and that's been changed. Like I think this is our drafters' attempt to lock us into sort of passivist mood. Because yeah, if yeah. you're going to war, people are going to be saying things that are not true. And that are designed to get people to not like the enemy, and that is what propaganda is. And there's no way to have war without a propaganda. It's just sort of odd. Anyway, so, so unless you're a pacifist, and then that's fine. Okay, B, incitement of imminent violence, and and there I think we all agree. Yeah, I want to give this qualification so that people get an understanding on this. My sense from conversations I've had lawyers, what's the difference between incitement and instruction? Is there a difference? Uh, I my, understanding, my understanding is this. In the case of instruction, if you command someone to go do something and they do it, and, and then you're both guilty of the same crime, then you're complicit in the same crime. That's like being a driver at a bank robbery. right? The driver is, uh, is not necessarily... Rob, he's not taking the money out, right? He's not waving his gun around. He's just driving the car. So he's like, I'm not guilty of robbing the bank. I just drove the car to the bank and then I drove the car from the bank. No, 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 buddy. You robbed the bank and if it was armed robbery, you armed robbed the bank. And, and, and that 
prosecution gets locked in, as in you did the same thing, you acted with common purpose, it can be under the common purpose doctrine, or it can be outside of the common purpose doctrine. You did the same thing. Just in case there was like, there was some kind of reward and punishment relationship between you and the other parties. So if the bank robbery goes successfully, you share in the loot. Yes. The same thing holds in a business. If your employer asks you to do something and you don't do it, you can face a disciplinary process. If you do do it, you get paid your salary or you get paid your commission. So there's a reward and punishment process. So that's why your boss instructs you, or if you're in a team, even if it's horizontal without a hierarchy of bank robbers, you you are, you know, things that you say to each other can count as instructions. And one person can just be on the phone coordinating everything else and just instructing them de facto. Uh, and he can be held guilty too because he's going to share in the loot. And because, yes. you know, maybe they've got a salary system and you get docked some pay if you don't do it properly, whatever it is. Incitement is not like that. Incitement is like a plain English language instruction, but without that, without that BATNA, best alternative to negotiation, which is a sort of concept we talked about, without that sense of a deal involved. So if we are both outside a bank and I see that the security guard has gone to sleep and I don't feel like robbing it, but I don't like the bank. And I say, hey, Nick, dude, the security guard's gone to sleep. You should go rob that bank. That's incitement. Uh if I've got no reason to expect that I'm going to get any of the money and all I'm really doing is just saying the thing. And if you say no, I've got no means to recourse. I've got no way to discipline you or punish you or withhold anything from you. Right. All I'm literally, all I'm doing is saying some words, giving you an idea, giving you an encouragement, instructing you um, in that sense, then it's incitement. That's my understanding of the difference. So incitement is like telling someone to do something. Instruction or command is telling someone to do something. And if they don't, you can do something about it. And if they do, you're going to share in the reward or you can, or that you can do something about it as well. So in, in, incitement of imminent violence just means even if you've got no power, if you're, if you're standing, there's an angry mob and they're chanting that they hate French people. And you see a French person go past. You say, hey, look at that guy. He's carrying a baguette. He's wearing a beret. Go attack him. Like the mob could refuse to do what you've said. But they could also go ahead and do it. You've got nowhere to control. Like if they refuse, they're like, oh, we're not, we, we're not that serious. We don't really want to kill French people. You're an idiot. Like there's nothing you can do about it. That's incitement. Um, because you have nevertheless, like there's been, you've had a reason to think that if you tell them to go do it, they will do it. It's just being a reason not grounded in your own control. Okay. So that's number B. And I think we all get that that's a baddie. Like you shouldn't go around saying kill people. Uh, if there's if it's immediately likely that that might end up happening. Yeah. Number C is advocate of, and, and, and that was not the allegation in this case, by the way. Let me make that perfectly clear. That was not the allegation in this case. Um, maybe it could have been, but the law doesn't require that. So they went for a different, an easy, a lower bar to cross. C, advocacy of hatred that is based on race, ethnicity, gender, or religion, and that constitutes incitement to cause harm. So that is the third category under our constitution that is not protected, that the law can and must bar. Advocacy of hatred that is based on race, ethnicity, gender, or religion, and that constitutes incitement to cause harm. Now, some of my colleagues think that they're on side with the Constitution because they think the Constitution only mentions A and B. Propaganda to do war, 
is forbidden and incitement to cause immediate violence. Um, imminent violence is forbidden. But there's also category C in the Constitution, advocacy of hatred based on race, and that constitutes incitement to cause harm. Now, in my opinion, I mean, the and is clearly very important. So it's not enough that it's advocacy of hatred. It must also incite harm. Yes. Um, I mean, you might, it's on that basis that one wonders how the flag, the old flag, could pass the test. Um, but but where it seems pretty clear that like shoot to kill, um, at least I can clearly see the case for saying that that, that you know, that's, inciting harm uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> and it's, it's, not advocacy. To, it's not even shoot or shoot to wound <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely so 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 i think this is one of the hardest things i think my colleagues or our colleagues anyone anyone who thinks that this shouldn't be done on principle has to respect the following liberal classical liberal thing in our constitution which is that it is trying to stop people from harming other people. I mean, that's... It's, it's literally trying to stop a race war, right? That's basically, in a sense, what it is. Or a gender pogrom or a you know, pogrom against gay people, whatever. So you don't have to think anything... You know, sometimes when people talk about harm, you get into the psychological stuff. Oh, this guy says his wife was killed in front of him. He was, you know, maimed and paralyzed. When he hears the song... It traumatizes him, you know. Tough tackies. That 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 probably does really hurt, and it probably is really sad. And maybe that should change how you think about it. But the law can't get in the business of policing emotions because there's no objective standard to yeah. to harm that psychological. Now, I think people like that are going to have a problem dealing with psychologists who will say that you know there is like crazy trauma where you just where you've actually got a you know you see a spider and then you you start hyperventilating, and that can be treated. And then there's real trauma where it's like, you know, some kind of objective test. Um, like, I mean, you know, my, my but, standard uh, case. Uh, it's, it's name is post-traumatic stress disorder, right? For example, you know, there's some people who are like, yeah. nah, that's not a real thing. That's just sort of, you know. <laughs> uh, there are many military veterans who would disagree that that's not a real thing. <laughs> yeah. So I think it can be objectively diagnosed. It turns out that it was difficult at first and sometimes there was worries about people faking it to get extra pay or whatever or, or get out of but, combat duty. But like, you know, there is psychology. A, yeah. Maybe a, it is an aside, uh, some yeah. of the earliest human records actually do contain what on reflection are probably accounts of people suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, which is uh, stories of like Mesopotamian soldiers uh, having these kind of hallucinations and like visions of, of, of demons and things. Uh, and obviously back then it was chalked down to being, you know, there's demons harassing this person, but it was very much connected to battles. So it was thought that like the spirits of the dead men that were killed in the battle were haunting the soldier. Um, and so, and it might be, yeah, I mean, in some ways that view is more sophisticated than a certain kind of 1970s macho man, um, yes. because on that view, there is some objective sense to the psychological trauma. You're not saying it's just right. your subjective feeling. You're saying that there's something real going on. Right. So spirit. that's interesting. And, do, and I'm not a psychologist. I don't know how to do those tests. And I do respect that. Uh, it can be so easily abused. And I imagine that 
you know, I, I, I can imagine a psychologist coming forward and saying we should ban standardized tests where people get A's, B's, and C's because that causes real trauma and kids oh, have killed themselves because they've got C's and it's very exactly. terrible. In the US, we've, we've seen people abusing this to an enormous degree. So I can see why people who do respect psychology as a discipline, who do think that there is some kind of objective standard of, of psychological harm, nevertheless don't want the law to get involved in policing it because they think it's just too open to abuse. You can't find an objective standard. And if you can't find a good standard, then you should have no standard and just leave it to the market. That I think that is a good idea. Um, uh, the question remains open, can you find a standard? I'm just sort of flagging, flagging that as an option. Say there's no standard. So even if you think there's no standard on the psychological side that, uh, that courts could really cohere around, what about the standard on the physical side? So, you know, if it turned out, evidence was given to the court to suggest that very public incidents of chanting kill the boy, kill the farmer have been followed by spikes in farm killings. Now, it just strikes me as a basic, as a basic concept in, in law and in classical liberal conceptions of law that if a certain kind of behavior increases the odds of people dying, where the odds of those people dying is not based on their own voluntary contribution to the behavior, then that behavior can and must in fact be policed must be policed if it can be policed. So, you know, I'm not saying that, like, the law should prohibit sports where people can die because there there's a kind of behavior that you're opting into that increases your odds of death. And uh, and the classical liberal idea is, t to a large extent, you've got to manage your own risks. So if you're deciding to go sort of play polo on cocaine... Um, I think that's the Man, I wish I could of, afford to do that. <laughs> <laughs> this sort of Midlands, the wonderful Natal Midlands pastime of, of cokey croquet <laughs> on horses. <laughs> you know, if that's what you're into, knock yourself out. And if you do get knocked out, don't complain too much about it. Thank you very much. Or do, but, you know, complain to your family. Don't come to the government and try and sue someone because you opted in and you knew what was going on. I'm fine with that kind of hard-assed approach. I think it's very sad. Sometimes people make bad judgments. Sometimes it's bad luck. So be it. But it's a whole other story. If you go play dicey, dicey, you know, uh, vroom, vroom races in the middle of town on a, on a public street and increase the odds of running over some innocent pedestrian because you're driving at 250 kilometers an hour. Down, down Durban's main road, which I'm told is a thing that happens these days. Yeah. On a, on a it happens with Bayes and Joburg sometimes. I know that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we've got laws against that. And I don't know any serious classical liberal. I know some lunatic libertarians, but I don't know any serious <laughs> classical liberal who thinks that there should be no speed limits because the government's not in the position of trying to figure out what the optimum speed is for people to drive and how does it know what I can do and what I can't do. And I'm actually an amazing driver at 250 k's an hour. Someone who says that they're an amazing driver at 250 k's an hour and should be allowed to do it does sound to me like someone who says, I can chant kill that group based on race, but because of how I do it, no one will ever misinterpret it 
and it will never therefore increase the odds of someone going to kill someone else. I can't have that effect because I am too slick, but that so, that's you know, that strikes me. So so that's why I think if there is a line, the line's going to be fine found behind the, uh, if that Malema is going to be found on the wrong side of this line. Now, maybe it remains the case that there should be no line at all, but I'm still not quite persuaded of that. Again, my strategy is to say, if there's a line, then this must be hate speech. If there's no line, then of course this is not hate speech, but, but, but on what basis can you say there's no line other than a lunatic libertarian basis where you also end up saying there can be no speed limit, there can be no seatbelt uh, regulation there can be no requirement that x-ray machines you know get verified uh, by some health regulator you know and some of those things bother me too but but I, I i take it as granted that classical liberals are fine with speed limits and and seatbelt requirements and central banks and uh, all other kinds of you know there are a lot of government and 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 public education um and things like that Look, that deal think, with third-party effects to prevent real harm, harm and death. Right. I think I think some might say that you know it's sort of political speech, and therefore you know it has a there's a different standard by which like the government can infringe a little bit on some on some rights like uh, you know how comfortable you are in your car, but it can't infringe on your right to make some sort of grand socio-political points about the country. I mean, that would be presumably one one response to that. I like that. I Let think me that, deal with that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So, so, so I have seen people write about... Let me deal with that by going back to the universities, Nick. Right. You, you, you said, why did the EFF do so well? Why are they so keen on PhDs? But part of the reason is that is that uh, PhDs are so keen on them. So <laughs> before I testified, one of my colleagues sent me um, a piece written by Professor David Benatar, who's the head of philosophy at UCT. I would, without doubt, is the most respected philosopher in South Africa. Now, insofar, you know, the only credential I have is a, is a bachelor's degree in philosophy. So I'm not a very fancy chap, but I do have a great love of the love of wisdom. Um, and... And and a, and a and a and a very strong respect for Benatar, and in fact, I spent many months researching him and writing a piece about him. It never actually got published. Instead, James Myberg published a different version of the same story in Politics Weapon, and it's a good and important story. Benatar has had a very tough time. Okay, that's some background. Benatar writes in Politics Web about a professor whose name stupidly enough I can't remember who was saying that Hitler committed no crime because Hitler only did to white people what white people had been doing to black people for a very long time yes so Benatar's position was to say that the line you know he analyzes this line and Benatar writes truly in a fastidious fashion very very cold very very disciplined doesn't get carried away like Nick and I with tangents mm. and <laughs> analogies and and whatever and you know, things, yeah. just as this guy knocks it straight down the middle and first he analyzes why this the statement narrowly conceived contains no element of truth then he looks before and after into the context around 
that statement. What else was he saying? And he finds that it's even worse. It becomes even more devoid of sense and reason. It becomes yet more like empty noise, hollering into the void. A nonsense, a mischief, uh, a waste of time. But he concludes the piece by saying that this guy, despite completely wasting everyone's time, should not be disciplined. Firstly, the law should get nowhere near dealing with him. And Very far away. Right. Because he's, and I completely agree because this is academic work. Whatever it is, it's in a university, it's in a lecture, <laughs> stay away. No matter how good or bad it is, stay away. Stay the hell away. For me, that's a bright line. I believe in strict liability, strict delict. Anyway, that's a sort of legal principle of saying, I do think that there are, are bright lines. When you get knocked in your car from behind, you know, there's a there's a clear rule about who's to blame. That's how we deal with some of these fuzzy, fuzzy things as a society. So we just draw rules. We just draw lines. We make them work. Okay, but Benatar goes a step further. He says the university shouldn't discipline him or criticize him. He should just basically be left in his position and, and the university should feel ashamed that they put him there in the first place. Right. To me, this is, this is, this is amazing. This is an amazing thing for a professor to say. It seems to me to show no regard for the parents that are paying money for their students, for their children to go and get an education. It seems to show no regard for the students who wake up, wipe the blurry hangover out of their eyes, and drag themselves off to possibly stumble into learning something. <laughs> and may it very seems... well be having their, their, uh, their time wasted by some moron who is saying completely ridiculous things that have no basis in reality. It seems also to show no good regard to the university because it's saying it's better to sort of get, don't remove the wart, just like zone in on how like cancerous and fetid it is and ugly it is. It does, however, seem to show a very strong regard for one Professor David Benatar. Now, I do respect this man, but I can't understand. And, my, and I've been told by someone who watched uh, an interview that he did on... Uh, Mark and Jason's podcast that that he basically ended up saying something like this that he needs to defend a guy like that against discipline from the university so that he is himself inoculated from discipline when he promotes non-racialism now I'm so happy it really it really warms my heart that Benatar promotes non-racialism at UCT I think he's an extraordinary man I think he's a great intellect I think he's got superb values I'm so glad that he's still there to fight the good fight for non-racialism. And I understand why he's worried. If he says you should discipline this guy, it's like he's whittling around and say, well. a rod for his own back. Well, next yes. time you say that like black people aren't all victims and white people aren't all perpetrators and you don't want to fill out whether you're black or white on some pencil test form, uh, we, we're going to tell you how that's your white privilege striking through and that's doing violence to, to black bodies and it's terribly offensive and you need to be disciplined. Yeah. And you've said that professors need to be disciplined, so don't be a hypocrite and say now something about academic freedom. So I see strategically why he says what he says, but really it's, it's a lot of self-regard in that and a lot of no regard for, for everything else. And I think much like with the flag case, you know, maybe someone's going to jump up and down and say, I sound like a white right-winger or a neo-Nazi or whatever because 
because I think you could draw a line between the old flag and singing Kill the Boer, where I think the one is is reprehensible in certain contexts, uh, but shouldn't be forbidden by law, because I don't see a propagation of hatred or an incitement to cause harm. I certainly don't see an incitement to cause harm. Uh, and, and I do see an incitement to cause harm in the instruction kill the Boer. Uh, I, I'm fine. I I am not going to give oh, up I mean, on my intellectual capacity to grasp that difference. If other people can't grasp that difference and they're going to accuse me of being a racist because they can't grasp that difference or they see it differently, they're welcome to explain it to me. I'm not going to give up what I've got intellectually. My, my ability to see that two plus two is four, I will not forsake that for some strategic benefit so that I can later say something funny and then it doesn't get me in trouble. To me, that is a sacrilege. That is a betrayal of classical liberalism to say, don't keep this guy as a professor at the same university as me because that way I get to say what I want to say and I don't have to defend myself and get dragged through these hearings. I think that's BS, man. I don't dig that. And I think that that is sort of... I think that's sort of on that's my way of framing an answer to a question to you of like how how do we how do we how do we justify the thought that it's worth the effort in the first place? Why does it matter? Why wouldn't it just be simpler if we if we if we if we kind of stop talking about it or leave the law out of it? Wouldn't that make it simpler? Wouldn't that make it easier to deal with? That seems like giving up on an important principle. And the principle is, so so I don't know. Am I, may, Nick, maybe I'm misrepresenting. You were saying a basic argument for kind of not having hate speech is, is that it's like, is that it's always too complicated? Am I putting it wrong? Well, look, that's that's part of it. And, I, you know, we had a discussion about this uh, when we were talking in sometime last week and i said uh that i think the real problem here is that actually i didn't say it quite this way but i said that the real problem here is that actually the law is not necessarily really the best tool for dealing with this the problem is not that <laughs> you know uh you know whether whether the law says yes you can chant kill the boar or not kill the boar whether the hate speech law should exist or not you know, some of that, I think I can see arguments both ways. Um, but the real problem here is that our steam market is so broken that 10% of the country and a significant amount of our uh, sort of uh, elite tastemakers and such are actually completely fine with this. That in any kind of healthy society, this wouldn't need to go to court because instead of a leader of the country's third biggest political party chanting this in public, it would be three guys in a secret meeting somewhere who all are really just trying to get away from their wives and that's the only reason that they're there yeah a bunch of losers. and that's right exactly and but the, the 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 real problem here is that we have an esteem market that winners. doesn't punish big, big winners yeah. calls for violence uh or at least even even language that might you know technically not in some interpretation not be a call for violence but it's very clearly sort of distasteful, right? 
I mean, oh, it's a call for violence, and then maybe there's some other interpretation that comes yes, off. Yes, 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 right, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, even on their version, it's kind of like it's a call for violence against the system, whatever that is. And the is. system is whiteness. Like, yeah. So I don't know, dude. Like, that's really does. I hate going to Hitler, man. But, like, dude, Hitler was like, dude, I don't hate Jewish people. I hate the system. And the system is like the Jewish cabal ruling the world. Like, Right, right. No, so that I doesn't think, make I think... you not racist. If you call the race that you hate a system, that makes you more, more clearly racist. <laughs> like, yes. you've worked it out. Like, you don't just hate white individuals. You hate the system. You, you, you hate that. You, th there's a system of whiteness that you like. It, I don't know. I don't know, man. Or blackness. Yeah. You know, like, uh, it's it. I, 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 I so don't think it, that's a get out of jail free card. Um. Isn't, isn't and and you're right to say this, that this had to go to court. Well, Nicholas, call me an American founding father, but if men were <laughs> angels, we'd have no need for government. The whole point of government is where society is so broken that it can't fix itself through the regular me mechanisms of the esteem market and the property market, both of which are underpinned by the central coordination of violence that is a government then the government steps in to resolve the problem right so i i sort of uh, 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 i mean i think we're kind of are dealing with the two questions here you know should incitement be illegal yes um and should there be such a thing as hate speech well as far as you know as far as i'm concerned and i have absolutely no legal training or understanding i don't know if i've talked on the show about what my preferred legal system would be we uh, have just, years ago. Yes. It's great. Go ahead. <laughs> right. But it's from that perspective that I say that maybe the solution here is just to perhaps have a slightly more uh, expansive definition of, of incitement here and just say, look, you know, whether this is hate speech or not, I mean, I, I wouldn't want a hate speech law, but what I do want this probably to be is incitement. Right. So, so I guess, um, so, so here's my understanding of. Let me put that a different way. Hmm. If if someone said, you've got an angry mob, you've got an angry mob that's can, that's affiliated with a party or group, which is known to be borderline hostile in a racist way to a particular group. Right. So we don't have to say that they really are racist, that they really are hostile, but their policy, you can see how it's pretty close, like that there are subtle but important differences, maybe. Yes. And you can see how there's a risk that it might go the wrong way. You could you could say, you know, this is the kind of mob where if the leader, you know, the leader is a great guy, but if the leader was just a different kind of person, if someone, if someone put something in his tea that morning, someone played <laughs> a mind trick on him, and he became a really evil dude, he would be able to work that mob up into a racist fury and yeah. and ins and and instruct them incite them in this legal sense that i've described where he can't punish them or pay them but he can just say go do this thing and there's a reasonable chance that they'll go do it they might refuse uh they might laugh them off they might be like oh wow he's really going <laughs> to the edge but there's a reasonable chance that they will okay and the magic words are go kill that group defined as a race or an ethnicity okay so that would be incitement that's textbook incitement if that's not in i don't know how else to define what incitement is uh yeah. otherwise incitement gets redefined as like assassination like 
It's only incitement if you pay someone to go kill someone else. <laughs> yes. But there's that seems to be that's a nihilism about incitement. Then you're saying not only is there no hate speech, there's also no incitement. There's only pay for play assassination. Okay, so there's incitement. That means a politician says to a mob, go attack those people based on their race. Or based on whatever. You know, just go just go burn the library, whatever it is. Doesn't have to be about race at all. Now, let's say you've got such a law, just in a hypothetical society. And let's say some people get punished for that law, or some people can see how the law works and they anticipate getting punished for it. And they and they come up with this, this sort of workaround. Instead of saying, kill that group they say ha, ha, kill ha, that group ha. and then when the court says dude or they drag to court and they say dude you said kill that group that's incitement that's textbook there was an angry mob there was a reasonable expectation that they would take this literally they, they had sufficient numbers that they might go and attack people and so on and so forth uh, you incited violence. This group, also can say, very, this group is also very keen on dressing themselves up in a military style and referring to themselves as commanders in chief and generals. And or all referring that. to the guy who says, <laughs> ha, <laughs> yes. ha, kill that one. He's called commander in chief and they're called soldiers of the revolution and he describes himself yes. as a violent tool. All of these things, okay? It's hard to imagine. Bear with me, okay? Right, you imagine that and then he says, no, no, no. I wasn't inciting them because incitement can only be done with words that you are saying in a normal fashion, with speech. This was song. This was chant. Okay, that's one case. Now imagine another case. You, you decide whether that makes a real difference. I would suggest that, that the thing is not to expand the definition of incitement. The thing is to respect the definition of speech which is written into the South African Constitution, and by the way, is written into the American Constitution, where speech includes forms of communication other than the way that we are talking to each other right now. Right. It's, it's very like naive press, to think only this like is how, speech. Yes. Right. It's like it's like how press in the American Constitution doesn't mean literally only printing presses. <laughs> Digital online newspapers are also newspapers. Some people hear the word online newspaper and their brains do little backflips because they say, newspaper it's made out of paper how can it be online okay so 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 people like that are going to have a tough time following what i'm saying but now imagine this imagine that this leader now he gets he gets punished now he can't say it uh and he can't chant it so he he gathers the group around and the mob goes outside some building and they want to burn it down or they want to attack some people and he's they're doing the whole kinds of lots of abstract stuff and lots of political speaking which can't be prohibited but then the moment comes to do a bit of incitement which remember is an order but without the power to enforce right yeah. and and the way that the order is given the incitement is given Imagine this, Nicholas. Imagine a world in which people have tablets, right? Or phones, a, a box that you can hold in your hand where things can appear on that box. This guy writes into that box, kill that group, and then he sends it to everyone in the group. Basically, they get in a WhatsApp group, and they're all there physically together. And when the moment comes, instead of saying it on a speech, he sends it in the WhatsApp group. Then he gets taken to court, and, and he says, no, 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 your honor. You can never ban written stuff because written stuff is not like spoken words. 
written stuff is always cerebral and contemplative. It must always be understood in a context of academia or press. This is actually, you see how the constitution protects media. This is media because I wrote it. Or maybe he can even create a website, right? That he updates it live and they're all next to each other. The mob is physically gathered. But when the instruction comes to kill, they do it through the website rather than by saying it to each other. Then he says, no, I'm not guilty of incitement. You can see, I think, I don't know, people must draw their own conclusions, I guess. But to me, it seems pretty clear that anyone who thinks it's incitement to say, kill that group, but it's not incitement to write, kill that group physically to someone who's in the same square as you while you're speaking to them on the speaker and you physically write it knowing that they're all going to get it on their phones it's a completely different thing to write it in a newspaper article that's going to appear on sunday and that's going to be in bedrooms and boardrooms and 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 coffee shops around the country where there is no group gathered up that's different they're physically in the same room whether you're chanting it or saying it or writing it on the wall imagine he graffitis it on the wall then he says no no no, no. guys although the whole group is gathered here and I said, guys, what, I, what I'm writing on this wall, this is what I'm saying, but I just can't say it because it's illegal. But if I write it, it's legal. And you must take me very seriously. Then he writes it on the wall. Then he goes and says, no, I'm not guilty because I wrote it on the wall. That would be absurd. People who follow that line of reasoning, people who think that uh, you can't say it, you, can, you can't say it, but you can chant it, you can write it on the wall, in everything else contextually being the same. I think those people are not taking seriously what communication is. And I don't think anyone really holds that view. I'm not sure. We'll find out. Um, but I do know that I do know that the easiest way to hold on to absolutism about free speech is to let go of all of the things I've been trying to hold on to, which is context, which is the basic insight of linguistics in the 20th century, in my opinion. Right and it's an expert opinion, said people figured out that words are not atoms that bear their own meanings individually, that they figure within larger schemas. And the context of the mob, the context of the politician on a stage speaking to the mob is different to the context of a journalist putting a piece into a Sunday paper that appears uh, in many different screens and many different coffee shops. It's different to an, a lecture hall. It's different to a theater. It's different. Those are very different contexts, and the rules of interpretation that apply are therefore very different. So people who worry, I think somehow this can assuage the worry that if you allow for incitement to include the instruction to go and kill, then suddenly you must, like we're going to run out of things to say. No, we're going to have a lot of things to say and you can still even give that instruction in writing in a newspaper as an open letter. If someone wrote an open letter to be published on the Daily Friend or the Sunday Times saying, I, like, I think all white people should be killed because the world would be a better place, I can see that although it'd be not a good thing to publish, if you did publish it, you should be protected from incitement to cause harm because it would be hard for me to understand how that is supposed to work as an incitement to cause harm. That all being said, and this is my last spiel, I have been to Rwanda. I have looked at the open and exposed corpses of thousands of people preserved in chalk in a daily grind. And... And I know how that worked. And I know that uh, 
free speech stories about what you should be allowed to say uh, were a little bit of a part of it. Um, not from the main proponents, but but from some of the Milkulin sort of crowd hanging out in the elite parts of Kigali. <laughs> oh, don't get too excited! Like oh, <laughs> no? Yes, I, I like your like your French little little French flavor to that because I can I can uh, see I can see the halls of Kigali right now. There by the flipping swimming pool, man, and um, and also I know that a bit of coded language. This thing of like, okay, well, if you wanna if you wanna get serious about policing speech, it must be exactly within a formula. Like it must. Uh, I think we've lost you, Gabriel. You're you've gone all squeaky and uh, I don't know what to call it. Like, I, <laughs> I think you may have unplugged your microphone or knocked the wire or something. Just say something. No, can't hear you. No, still can't hear you. All right. I'm, I'm back. Is that me? Oh, wait. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you hear you? Sorry about that. Sorry about that. To finish my spiel, You're can I finish my spiel? You're emoting too much. You I can was spiel, finish much. your spiel. So, so, so part of the issue was getting too, was, was getting too callous by, was saying, no, we don't want people to cause harm. We don't want, you know, we don't want a world in which, you know, uh, restauranteurs hide uh, uh, syringes inside of the mash and gravy or the pork sausage. And it's just sort of a delightful surprise. Maybe no one will get it and no one will die. But if someone does, it's just too bad. You should figure it out yourself. Um, you know, <laughs> we don't want laws about how many syringes you can put in your sausage. Uh, part of it was this sort of, anti-liberal pro some kind of absolutist libertarianism thing which is really which is really not about preventing harm but is about sort of uh, just sticking to an idea as far as you can absolutism um but part of it was about uh, what, uh, sort of getting the wrong lesson out of semiotics and thinking that coded language like if you think that crush the cockroach is a defense against hate speech i don't i'm just not reading the same history books as you are i think so the kiss the boy thing or the chanting thing you know like trying to disguise trying to throw a fig leaf on top of an instruction i don't think it works now this has been a long sidewind around uh, a basic point which you said nick and and i should discipline myself because you raised the good point and i'm just giving a lot of background to it but the good point you made is that we shouldn't get in the way of political speech. We shouldn't get in the way of people exchanging in ideas. My background to push, pushing back against that is, as I've said, the foreground is simply this. An imperative is not an idea. And if it is an idea, it's the kind of thing that can be blocked. So I don't want to get in the way of someone saying South Africa would be a better place if there was no white people in it. Well, and in fact, you might, in, to, you, might, you might want to get in their way, not when a legal means necessarily. Yeah, no, somebody. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm speaking with great hubris as if I were the law. As Gabriel Krauser, I very much want to get in the way of that person. But the law should not be getting in their way. 
necessarily. And and by the way, the Equality Court found against Lindsay Marsdorp, a BLF guy, on Friday for saying things like, you know, I want to kill some white people. Let's make that happen. Hmm. It's the let's. Let us make that happen. It turns out in English, let us is an imperative phrase. Let's go to the movies. In Russian, you would say davai or davaite mi na kinoa. Okay? Which is an instruction. We go to the movies. It's hard to translate because in English, in Russian, go can be I go. It's a descriptive. Or it can be an imperative. You go to the movies. Like you must go to the movies. English doesn't change the word. In Russian, it goes from ya dayu as a descriptive to vi it, it It has a different ending so that you know it's a command. German, you know it's a command. English, you don't know it's a command. So we use a normative case, um, must go, should go. And if we don't want to do that, we use a let us, let's go. But that is an imperative in English. Of course, the simplest English imperative is just go. Kill the boer. So imperative clauses, he says, I, I would like to kill white people. That's protected speech. Because that's an interesting idea. It's a wrong idea. It's an idea to clash with. Let's make that happen. That's no longer an idea in the straightforward intellectual sense of something. That is now an instruction. It's an imperative. I think all... You know, I, I think that questions should never be banned. There's no way to ban it. It would be absurd to ban a question. In There's a movie called Alphaville by Jean-Luc Godard, uh, a sort of dystopian uh, French uh, sort of answer to the Russian metropolis. And they say, in Alphaville, we we'd never ask why. We only say because. That is a terrifying society. A society in which questions are banned is a terrifying society. A society in which categorical, uh, sorry, in which hypotheticals are banned. That is a terrifying society. If someone says, if all white people were to die, I think we'd be a better society. Dude, maybe we would. I, Helen Zilla said something not that different to that. You know, she gave a speech at Liberal Club, which is published in Politics Web, where she said, liberal democratic orders are hard to, pre to preserve. And maybe it's even harder if the society is sort of racially heterogeneous. Maybe it's easier if everybody looks Swedish and it's in Sweden or looks South Korean and it's in South Korea or looks Kenyan and it's in Kenya. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know that I agree with that idea. Yes, of course it might sound, and I'm putting it in a very different way to how she put it, it might sound terrible to say right. society would be better if all the white people and colored people and Indian people were driven away. But you should be able to think about it you should be able to discuss it. Maybe the opposite's true. Maybe our greatest strength. Maybe one day we're going to be the best because we're so diverse. That's what I would like to make happen. That kind of feels like a bit of a mission. Who knows whether it'll work out. One tries. One probably fails, but one keeps trying and maybe one succeeds. It's worth discussing. All of these things are ideas. Go jump in a lake is not an idea. <laughs> Kill your neighbor is not an idea. It's a thing to do. You know, I, if we're going to get to the point where you say you can't ban ideas and imperatives are ideas, then it sounds a little bit like we're saying you can't ban doing things. Right? You can't ban killing because if you kill someone, it's just like you're thinking it would be better if they were dead. And, and you're not thinking if they were dead, it would be better. You're also making it so. 
But that's also part of thinking. That's just a further extrapolation of the idea. Can't block that. Government can't tell you what to think. Imagine if a government could tell you what to think. It'd be terrible. We'd all be thinking the same things. It'd be, it'd be terribly oppressive. No laws against murder. I think I think uh, that the that uh, uh, what is it? W. H. Austin's uh, no, W. H. Auden, J. L. Austin, uh, the 20th century uh, sort of woke and in many ways terrible philosopher who spoke about speech acts. Um, now that was a good idea that was sort of found its way into. Uh, a funny place. In fact, it's a very ancient idea. I mean, literally ancient. Aristotle, uh, Socrates, uh, Diogenes um, find it very well understood in Kant and Hegel. Um, there is a bridge between thinking and doing, and it is instructing. It is ordering. It is the imperative mood. Um, and and our constitution seems to reflect that. It seems to say incitement to cause harm. Incitement is an, is, is an imperative of a sort. It's an imperative without a control, but it's an imperative of sort. And that is considered unprotected speech. I don't think it gets in the way. And the question I put back to you, Nicholas, what is it? What exactly is it that we wouldn't be able to think our way through if it was against the rules for you to earnestly instruct John Endress, our boss, to kill me. <laughs> what is it? What there. wonderful thing? Because I let me just say, for the purpose of this conversation, I will waive it. I promise, you know, this is on record. I will not take you to court. <laughs> if this goes to court, you can play this in court to the judge. Gabriel Krauser will not hold you responsible because he's got a very interesting view on free speech. It's okay to say you should kill Gabriel Krauser. It's okay not just to say you should, but it's in case to instruct people to kill Gabriel. What is it that we can't figure out? What is it that we can now figure out? Like, what, I've just given you permission. What, what, what wonderful idea have we unlocked further than just that, you know, uh, you can put me six feet under? What's the next step? Look, I mean, I could go on at length about the benefits, but... Uh, I think no. the point that Hay <laughs> I think that the point that Hayek might make <laughs> is that you can't predict necessarily what the fruits of freedom are ahead of time, and that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to argue sometimes in favor of freedom. Is that you know because it allows so many possibilities, unless you're a galactic-sized supercomputer, you can't really figure it out that easily. Um, but I will say that uh, while I am not super keen on on hate speech stuff, I, I uh, on hate speech laws and things like that, when people call for violence against their fellow citizens or people living peacefully in the same country as them, uh, whether they're citizens or not, I must say I'm not exactly. I don't feel like I need to go and die on a hill for that speech in particular, uh, because it is toxic, awful, and destructive. Did I love that you made Hayek and Malema sound exactly the same? Yeah. PhD-loving anti-intellectuals. <laughs> Malema, Malema, like Hayek, dude, he doesn't know what the future will bring. He just has no idea. Maybe one day he will need to call for the slaughtering of all white people. He can't say... 
The future is very, it's very wide open. Unless he had a galactic brain, unless he was a supercomputer, how could he possibly tell the court honestly whether or not some future instance might come where he just needs to call for the slaughtering of all white people? He, 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 is, he has an epistemic humility, just like Hayek. Rather, it would be better just to say, maybe we need to call for the slaughtering of all white people or all black people or all Indian people or all colored people. Maybe we need to do that. We, we can't say in advance what kind, of, what kind of big state, bureaucratic, nanny government, like, like, like uh, arrogant, what kind of arrogant person would presume to know the future so, so well so, so, that they know, so, yes, I know neither being, now I know being... nor in the future? Can you call for I know, the murder I know, of a I know whole group, Nick? Yes, no, I am I know pushing being... back against you because yes, I'm saying that being... you and, well, not you, but Hayek, and my lemma, I'm not being facetious, dude. I'm being sorry. I'm I am showing the absurdity. My lemma and Hayek share an absurdity, which is that when things don't suit them, they say the human brain can't figure it out. It doesn't suit Hayek that we do know that it's never on to call for the murder of a, a group of people based on their race or ethnicity. It is never on. It's not complicated. Right. So what if hypothetically look? <laughs> I've just looked at the time and I've seen it's almost two hours. But um, what if 100% of white people suddenly decide they support the Boromach and the Boromach seizes power in a military coup and institutes not just apartheid, but the harshest form of apartheid, like 10 times worse than apartheid, apartheid on steroids. Would Malema maybe have a point then? Dude, this is a great question because this takes us to more or less what most of the trial ended up being about. Sort of three, four days of testimony by Ernst Ritz. A lot of the testimony that I was asked to give was, was basically to ask, is that, is that the South Africa we're in today? Is it the case that South Africa today, much like in 1972, is a situation where the system of government, of economic relationships of esteem relationships where the power distribution is so greatly in favor of white farmers and so or boers or white people and so greatly against black people that no that no amount of incitement can can really result in increased harm or in the alternative if it does result in increased harm it can't really be said to be unjust because the injustice or the injustice of whatever harm would be had the, the, in the, the harm struggle. Is almost like a self-defense kind of thing. Yes. Very well put. Right. So, and of so, course, we, I, I would argue that we've probably never been in a space where, it would, you know, the example I described is like one that probably could never happen. Uh, maybe it could. Maybe it a, could. Maybe it could. Maybe it could. But it. But think, but but look. There's enough it, for remark. <laughs> Right. So I think it is interesting. I just, it, it, I think it is really interesting that the tr that's literally the most of the trial was about that. That was mm -hmm. most of Malema's testimony. As I was saying, black people can't have no power. Matsepa's poor. Ramaphosa's poor. Right. The army and the police mean nothing. Whatever. Um, I think that it's. I think that it's like. 
it's it's more interesting. So it's kind of boring to try and say 2022 is not the same as 1972. It's also very exciting because it means trying to think about like what is the actual difference? How how real is it to say that we we share some dignity in the constitutional South African Republic, that we share some serious level of equality before the law, that that economic opportunities have changed, that, you know, as I didn't manage to tell the court, but as Statistics data shows and as I've published, you know, two-thirds of income goes to black people, one-third to white people, so it's not quite representative. But if you look at the elite, it's like the black top 10% out earns the white top 10% by 10 by a factor of three. These these things are, you know, it's interesting how things are different to when we were born and, and before that and how that does change the 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 probability of harm being incited in this in this particular way and of the moral inflection of that harm because in my view there is such a thing as a just war so there must be some room in which and we said this about the propaganda to go to war there must be some room for british people to kind of publish nasty cartoons about nazis while they are while they are trying to fight the Nazis. Well, not 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 specifically Nazis, but Germans. Germans, yes, Germans. You know, it's not great, but you know, we've got to go kill the Germans. They're a bunch of those Jerry's are a bunch of whatever's. You know, I I I I I, I kill the Germans. <laughs> you can <laughs> chant it, you can say it, like there there is certainly a context in which that is justified. And and it is to my mind. One of the greatest failings of, of most peacetime discourse that we complacently neglect to think about just war theory, precisely because in just war circumstances, the ordinary rules, limitations, and so on are shifted, not lifted. Hmm. There is still issues to do with habeas corpus. There's still issues to do with how do you deal with prisoners of war. There's still issues to do with how you confront civilians versus um versus combatants those things do degrade the longer a war goes on but it's very good to start with standards and try to hew to them otherwise you know otherwise very bad things happen and just war theories like pandemic theory by the way it's like plague theory there are people uh, overly neglected who outside of the pandemic good classical liberals even good libertarians who, who who considered that during a pandemic, the third party effects might be such that ordinary civil liberties get to be suspended under emergency or disaster powers for the purpose of mitigating those third, third party effects in the utilitarian calculation. The same kind of basis on which uh, a conscription regi- you know a conscription program can work in the event of right. a just war. In, in this case, in this case, I think one of the and we forgot seen- to talk about it. And so when we hit right. the war, we went mad. We must talk about just war partly because, I mean, I don't think in South Africa that situation you've described is ever going to happen. Most South Africans are much too reasonable, especially most Black South Africans. But, yes. um, but, 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 but there are other kinds of reasons one might worry about just war stuff, and and so and so that's that's how I confront that problem is to say yes, yes, yes again. In the 1970s, if some dude chanted "kill the boy, kill the farmer." And he said, you know what, I really just want to flip and uh, tackle the system and I hope no one misinterprets me, but I'm not flipping going to bend over to have Oaks not misinterpret me. And if someone does go kill a farmer and that accelerates the pace of change, so be it. I would be 
sort of queasy uh, about it. It helped, but it helped that we weren't a liberal democratic republic. Then we weren't a liberal democracy. There, there is a there is a lot to say that that part of the struggle, part of the armed struggle, was a just war. In the event of someone saying that in the 1970s, it'd be very different to the 1950s. You know, look at Mandela's categorization of different forms of violence and why you should go for infrastructure and not for soft targets and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to uh, get into. You know, the the point is there is a kind of incremental ratchet up. You go from peaceful yeah. protest to to kind of disruptive block the roads to okay so, maybe so blow up a power line you should go incrementally things, it's not just free right. for all but i can see, but i would give someone i i would morally give someone all the rope that they wanted in a sense in in a certain period of apartheid or in a certain imaginary party in actually a certain period of apartheid and uh, uh one second one bullet so be it that was a phrase and 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 obviously it was policed and it was policed by by very bad laws uh, right. That's a very different circumstance. We live in a peaceful society. We live in a constitutional order, and we shouldn't we shouldn't give up on the complicated work of passing apart these different circumstances, drawing the line, finding the line, refining the line. It is difficult. It means we got two hours and two crickets. We probably drive a lot of people <laughs> insane, you know. And imagine how much worse it would be if everyone was asked, was having the conversation all of the time. But uh, but but I think having the conversation, I think it's a fundamental tenet of classical liberalism that having so the conversation is better than giving up on the conversation. And the absolutists, they actually want to give up on the conversation yeah. of where the line is. They want to say there's no line at all, nothing's hate speech. To me, that sounds like a cop-out. That sounds like a cop-out. But I'm not sure. Maybe, I'm, maybe I've deluded myself because I've gotten too involved in the process. And I, you know... I am insecure about it because it's not something I've studied particularly or anything like that. I, I think I think part of the problem here is actually that Malema has we've, we've seen the issue with the just war thing uh, as sort of aside, not quite directly addressing a point, but that Malema is abusing <laughs> the just war stuff by claiming that we are in a state where uh, you know such things are so bad. And whites are so oppressive that this is, you know, something that should be regularly said: kill the poor, kill the farmer. Dude, that was, guy was asked, fact, "Can you afford?" To, yeah, we're not there, dude. He was asked, "Can you afford to pay a five hundred thousand rand uh, fine donation to some institute organization that promotes non-racialism?" He said, "I can't afford it. I've got no money. The party's got no money. Glozy only has books." Dude, he also said. And I won't pay you back until all white people give all black people five trillion dollars, right? Well, so he's there's theory, a number now. yeah, there's enough. Okay, so now you know what, how how much white guilt costs. Um, <laughs> although I'd he hasn't yet said how, how much it's how he arrived at such a thing. Uh, yeah, he mentioned some person. some vague thing. I didn't. I must say, I I I go forward at the moment because basically what he was saying <laughs> that is that is that is a just war claim, right? That's a claim, dude. I can't. You cannot expect me to respect your system of laws, uh, in which you know a finding of guilt results in a fine, because there is this bigger issue. This is like this is like a, a British person being asked to pay a fine to to Nazi Germany for speeding, uh, while he was on a tank, uh, you know, racing. To, to get to Berlin before the Soviets. It's it's like, 
you know, that would be absurd. Malema is saying it's equally absurd to expect him to pay half a half a million rand until yeah. until the war is won, until five trillion dollars are transferred to black people. It's dude, he's just he is he is a prophet. He, like most truly charismatic people, has figured out that the the the, the best thing to do if you want to get people not to think too much but to like get behind you is to describe the future in the present it's also a very old soviet trick but you know he he wants at some level politically he wants something like a race war mm. because if there is something like a race war he's got the best odds of coming out on top and so he describes today today's constitutional order as if it is one so unjust and oppressive that expecting him to pay a fine before the conclusion of the war is as silly as expecting Churchill to pay a fine to Hitler for sort of smoking a cigar inside the Wilhelmstrasse yes. Palace, which was against the rules. Yes. Uh, it's it's not it's and and if he's if he's not describing the future the way he you know, if he's not describing the present. Uh, in the future tense, he's describing it in the past tense. He's sort of recalling how things were, how how someone in the 1970s, 1980s, someone who's being fined or jailed under the Immorality Act, hot dang, dude, that guy's got a solid defense, or that woman has a solid defense to say, bugger you, you know, I will pay the fine or I will serve my jail time when you flip and pay black people $5 trillion or whatever. Like this law is saying that a white person, a black person can't kiss. And by the way, it's also saying that the black person gets punished and the white person usually gets let off scot-free. This is crazy. I've got no respect for this law. That would be a reasonable thing to say. This is not a reasonable thing to say. And that difference only gets seen if you look for it. If you want to close your eyes and be like, this is all too complicated I don't know, man. That just sounds like giving up. At some level, I worry. I worry that sometimes a form, something that calls itself liberalism, can just be a way of putting your head in the sand. That's what I worry about. I worry that I worry that I am getting my head too too deep into the microwave. That is getting overly cooked by like an energetic, like like a hubris, like a uh, like I know too, I, I think I know more than I really do. But I worry that the alternative would be for me to just give up, put my head in the sand, be like, you know what, society needs to deal with this. Um, it will or it won't. If it doesn't, that's just too bad. The, if the law gets involved, it'll just get worse. No, no, it's not. It's not. I think. I think at least the work we do recognizes that it's not just too bad if society deals with this. We we actively spend every day, and that's part of what this podcast is trying to convince the country that this kind of stuff is not cool. We do take seriously, you know, we don't put our heads in the sand, I mean, uh, uh, on these issues. We we really kind of will say, okay, look, this may be the way things are, and it shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't tolerate voters, people. We shouldn't tolerate academics. We shouldn't tolerate the fact that, you know, Malema is singing this song, regardless of whether we think it should be illegal or not. We go out and every day we make that case. And we're right to make that's, that case. 
Amen. <laughs> uh, okay, let's close it before we go over two hours. Uh, do you have a recommendation? I'm afraid my recommendation is rather poor this week. Well, uh, from a certain perspective, from an intellectual perspective. <laughs> best book cover of the week, There Are No South Africans. Yes, yeah, so I saw the G. picture. G.H. Kalpin. It's the sort of cover is like an oscillating imprint of uh, umber felt felt uh, reeds sort of uh, waving in the wind, and in front of that the not the Union Jack, but the thing that people call the Union Jack. Um, it's rectangular, not square, so it's got to be the 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 British flag um, and the feed clear. Um, and uh, yeah, man, I've seen this book before. I'm so curious to read it. I'd very much like to steal it. I'm podcasting today from a bit of a mansion um, yes. somewhere. He's, between he's, you can't, nowhere. can't see this, but his, his background is, let's just say, worth more than my entire net worth. Yes. And more than both of our net worths combined. Anyway, <laughs> yes. So it's like, it's nice to see how the other side lives for a moment. Um, this thing was published during World War II. And I, I, I always find it interesting that people were writing during the war. That even. God, it seems like, like in, everything else should have stopped, right? No, but it, what a time to think, you know. Okay. So um, I don't actually know much about the book, so I can't recommend it, but it's just a sort of just a thing that's been said. Good cover, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay, and what so, a statement hey, there are no South Africans. Indeed. Uh, my recommendation is make South Africans. It's probably going to be get me called a barbarian as my uh, recommendation on the Daily Friend show for re-coffee also got me called a barbarian. Yes. But I cannot <laughs> I most cannot affectionately describe... <laughs> most, most wonderful barbarian. I, I cannot describe how much I love Sterry Stumpies. It is oh. a strange name. It is, I'm pretty sure, a uniquely South African product, or it may have originated in South Africa. It's just flavored milk, but it is also the taste of happiness. Full on. And if you have never had one, may I recommend trying one at least once. Oh. It is a taste of one's childhood, and it is so good. Uh, my girlfriend, when she came to visit me yesterday, she bought me one, and it was the greatest gift she could have given me in that moment. Dude, what a delight, man. Yo, I treat myself, <laughs> i got to say, like, after I got my first, um, the first time I ever got published in a newspaper, yo, I went and bought a Stary Stumpy right there. Like exactly. I saw the newspaper in the shop and I went to go buy it and I saw my name and I was like, I'm so excited. What am I going to do? I bought a Stereo Stumpy. I was like, ah. <laughs> I, my personal favorite flavor is the toffee caramel flavor, but that's just because I love caramel so much. But uh, uh, I'm also partial to uh, chocolate solid, but I'm also partial to the bubblegum flavor because it tastes like nothing in nature. You know that <laughs> when you take a sip like that, it's like nothing but man-made <laughs> chemicals. <laughs> Artificial genius. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a symbol of man's triumph over nature. <laughs>
dead to it's also it's a bright blue color which <laughs> it feels like you know there was a missing piece of the ten commandments number 11 got scratched off or something which is thou shalt not drink things that are blue <laughs> oh la la oh la la yet, yet here we are so anyway um okay well, let's call uh, it there yeah, let's let's call it that. Wait, I want to make a polite recommendation um, to like it's. This sounds really silly, but like lamb. No, you see, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this in Afrikaans, and then I'm gonna sound silly, like lamb ribikis. Hmm. You know the thing that's like a lamb chop, but it's without the chop. It. It's just like the. the yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Dude, those things on brides, I don't know. I figured it out one day, like a few years ago. Honestly, just because I wanted to like get enough that we could share things around, but I didn't have enough to buy like 12 lamb chops. So I bought I bought like 12 ribikis for like six people. And then since then, like I just I have to have that at every at every fire cooking session that I do. And I did some of that yesterday. Cause it's it's really nice at a bride to have something that you eat before you eat everything else. That's that's my sense. It's nice to the multiple course um uh having multiple courses sort of bite bite into it, wash it down, have a chat. Sort of reduces some of the pressure both on the conversation and on the food and on the drinking. I think that the French um have a culture that survived for a very long time and is worth making fun of but really is also quite admirable and fabulous I think a, no, huge, a huge key to french success french is because I, i'm, I'm, they I'm figured out multiple courses at your link at your link between uh bright place and and french it's culture the, but anyway it's the closest it's the closest one can come to okay no let, let me let me not be too silly i my my real recommendation and it is cheeky because I've given quite a stern criticism of it, but but maybe I've maybe you'll find that I've misrepresented it. My serious criticism, my serious recommendation is to check out David Benatar's piece um, on the freedom of speech. That's on politics web. Yeah, and we'll put the link in the description. Just check it out. I've been I've been mean. I mean, and I'm and dude, this is like a a young man criticizing the country's most respected philosopher. So uh, it might very well be case. That, you know, maybe I'm just being callow. Um, in any event, even if I'm right, there's probably something good to, to, to well, get look, in style. For what it's worth, uh, I'm even less qualified than you, but I think you're probably right, unless you are horrifically mischaracterizing his piece. No, dude. Well, we're going we're gonna to put it up there, and, and people can have a check. Cool. All right. Uh, and with that, all I can say is keep the flag of liberty flying. Grr, 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 grr.